Amen. All right, well, I was going to make a joke about how my name is Brian Fisher, and I shrunk over the holidays and became slightly better looking, but I kind of decided I'd leave that one out there, so I'm not going to sell that joke. Um, hey, I'm Zach. It's glad, I'm glad to be with you today. Um, I, I, wanna, I, I do want to share you. I've known for about two months that I was going to be standing up here today with you, and uh, I had this message that I've been working on, um, excited to give it. It's going to change your life, and I got to this Thursday, and I could think how to say it and sum it up in a sentence, but I could not. I had this mental breakdown in my office Thursday afternoon. I was like, Brian, come, I need to talk to you. I can't, I can't get the words to come together to make this cohesive in a 30-minute message. I need to do something else. And so I set that aside. <laughs> and two lessons I want to share with you that I got from that. And one is this. Standing up here and preaching and teaching the Word of God is a mentally challenging and spiritually compelling exercise. And I want you to remember this. Thank the people who stand up here week after week, whether they stand in the pulpit or they're in a Sunday school class or they're in the, in, in your, leading your Bible study. Men and women who are working through that to, to gift, to use their gifts to, to build up the body of Christ, thank them for that. Okay, And the second thing is I I realize this, that's not the message God had for us today. So I set it aside, and I met with the Lord, I met with Brian, he's not the Lord, but I met with both, (laughs) and uh, I said, y'all are about to teach the book of Matthew, what's something in Matthew you're not going to hit, because it's a big book, and we're going to do it pretty quick, and he gave me a thought, and I said, I'm going to do that, so that's what I'm doing this morning, I'm going to tell you that about that in a minute, but Here's what I hope. My prayer this morning is this, is that the little that I bring, God would take that and he would multiply it and he would feed you. Because we're going to do the feeding of the 5,000. That was a perfect transition right there. See that? All right. So, hey, I'm entitling this the fickleness of faith. And if you would turn to Mark, we're not going to be in Matthew. We're going to be in Mark. Mark chapter 6. And I call this the fickleness of faith because we're going to look at two narratives primarily the feeding of 5,000, but right after that, when Jesus walks on water, and together, Mark is going to show us something, and there's going to be a a sentence, a a verse at the end of this that he is going to sum up a lesson that I think is good for us to learn. So whether you've heard the feeding of the 5,000, 5,000 times preached, um, I may take it a little bit different direction. So walk with me today as we do that, and here's what I hope you will see. I hope you will see that God is at work to establish, lay a foundation, to stretch, to round out, and to ultimately mature our faith. It is a process of ups and downs. One moment we see so clearly. The next minute we miss it completely. One moment we stand firm. The next moment we sink. One moment we're holding on. The next minute the wind blows us wherever it goes. But here's the thankful part is that God has given us personal experiences. And we're going to see the disciples have a personal experience with Christ where he steps in, where he is close, where he is imminent, where he does something unexpected and his power is displayed. And those experiences, whether ours personally or someone else's, remind us that God is deserving of our trust. And it builds our faith. And so one of the things I like to do, especially when we look at a narrative, and we're going to look at a narrative today, a historical narrative. This is actually something that happened in history. 
I want you to think about three perspectives as we walk through this, this section today. Number one, I want you to think of a picture. When we look at the scripture, there is a picture. There is something happening, and I want you to step into the picture. I want you to, to, to see the sights and the sounds and the smells of that moment as if you were standing there with Christ and the disciples. Second, I want you to think of it as a mirror. It's going to tell us something about us. Let the mirror reflect upon you where you see who you are in relation to God and what God needs to teach you about yourself. And then lastly, it is a window into who the person of God and Jesus Christ is. Some place that we have never been, but who God has revealed himself to us in his word and through the person of Christ. And so what is that going to say as a picture, as a mirror, and a window? So watch those three things. And as the mirror goes, I want to ask you this question. Do you identify and how do you identify with the disciples and with the crowd? All right? Think about those things as we go. Now I want to jump into Mark, and let's talk about the context just really quick. In, in Mark chapter 6, here's what's going on. Jesus is establishing his identity with the disciples. He has called them. And they have followed. He has commissioned them or sent them out, and they went out doing some works that God called, that Jesus called them to do. And in the process, what he's trying to do is reveal himself to them, his deity, his sonship. And he is preparing them to trust him, not to lean on their own understanding, but to lean on his. And he's doing that because he's getting ready to leave. He's going to die on a cross. He's going to be put in a tomb, rise from, that, from the dead, and then he's going to ascend and go back. And he's going to leave them with, with Acts 1.8, that I, when the Spirit comes, he's going to give you my power, and you're going to be witnesses for me in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and all to the remotest parts of the earth. And he's got to get them ready to know who he is and to trust him for the work that he's going to commission them to do. So that's the context. And I want to ask you to remind yourself of this. We are all, as believers, his disciples. And we are called to be witnesses for him as well. And we are called to know him and to reveal him and to trust him along the way. So as we walk through this, let this historical narrative inform you, encourage you, exhort you, and challenge you. So we're going to look at Matthew, Mark's chapter 6. I'm going to read it in its entirety, the feeding of the 5,000, and then we're going to look at it. We're going to dive in a little bit. So here we go. Mark chapter 6. The apostles gathered together with Jesus, and they reported to him all that they had done and taught. This is where you're working on the picture. Hear this for the first time. Step into the story. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a secluded place and rest a while. For these were many people, there were many people coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat. They went away in the boat to a secluded place by themselves. The people saw them going, and many recognized them and ran there together on foot from all the cities and got there ahead of them. And when Jesus went ashore, he saw a large crowd, and he felt compassion for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it was already quite late, his disciples came to him and said, this place is desolate and it is already quite late. Send them away so that they may go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered and said to them, you give them something to eat. 
And they said to him, shall we go and spend 200 denarii on bread and give them something to eat? And he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go look. And when they found out, they, had, they said five and two fish. And he commanded them all to sit down by groups on the green grass. And they sat down in companies of hundreds and of fifties. And he took the five loaves and the two fish and looking up toward heaven, he blessed the food and he broke the loaves and he kept giving them to the disciples to set before them. And he divided up the two fish among them all and they all ate and they were satisfied. And they picked up the 12 full baskets of the broken pieces and also of the fish and there were 5,000 men who ate the loaves. So let's start here. And I want to, we're going to just go kind of verse by verse here. And I want you to take this idea, the picture, the mirror, and the window. And I want to draw some observations for you. And then I'm going to try to tie this up in a neat little bow. But remember, what is Jesus doing here? He is preparing the disciples to trust him for the work he's going to leave them with. Okay? He is revealing himself to them. So let's watch what happens. The background here. I shared a little bit about the overall background, but let me give you immediate context because it says the, the apostles gathered together with Jesus and they reported. So what had they done? Well, Jesus sent them out. And remember, he gave them his authority and he said, I want you to go. And this is seen in uh, verses uh, six, in, in, in chapter 6, verse 7 through 13. He's going to send them out. He's going to give them authority over the unclean spirits. They're going to cast out demons. They're going to teach that people repent and they see people come to repentance, um, he, they're going to anoint people with oil and see them healed. So they are out there in God's power seeing people healed from their disease, seeing spiritual demonic forces removed from their influence over people's lives. Let me tell you something. He pulls them together and they start reporting all that they had done and experienced some powerful things that they've seen. One of the things that I learn in this about us is that Jesus' method to change the world is through people with his power. Humble, available people, not by their great things, but by his greatness in them. And they saw God's power move. But they saw it, and this is key to the fickleness of faith. They saw God's power move in a very specific way. They saw demons removed, and they saw healed saw sickness healed. Sometimes we see God work in one way and then we don't believe he'll work in another way. You'll see that the disciples saw God work in a few ways and then when it came to another potential that Jesus is sitting there and if they really knew his godness, they might have not asked the same questions or offered the same solutions. So he's expanding their view. So he pulls them away and he says, come away by yourselves to a secluded place and rest a while. I love this. He says, let's pull away because you're going to take a break. Not forever, but for a while. And you need to do that. God is a God of rest and Sabbath as well. When he got done creating, he took a rest. And they were out doing ministry and ministry is difficult. It is, it is hard to step into the mess of people's lives. I want you to do something real quick. Look at someone next to you and I want you to look them in the eye, point at them and say, you are a mess. And then, hey, and then, 
I want you to look at the same person, point the finger at yourself and say, and I'm a mess. Okay? Life is messy. Walking into people's lives and being an agent of the gospel of Christ is messy. And it is difficult. And you need to take a break. But Jesus valued this. He said, I want you to pull away because I value you pulling back. I want you to process what you've seen. I want you to remember what God has done through this. And I want you to reflect on it. Because that's part of establishing our faith. That's one of the reasons God has given us a collection of his acts of ministry and his use of people in the Bible is to continue to establish our faith through their experiences and through our own. And so I want to tell you, if you're a journaler, journal. Keep a record of how you've seen God move in your life. Collect those stories because it gives us something to lean on later. When the next circumstance or the new circumstance hits us. Next verse. They went away in the boat to a secluded place by themselves. And I love this. The people saw them going and they recognized them and they ran there together on foot from all the cities. So they see Jesus get in a boat with his disciples and go to a secluded place. They go, and there must have been some engineers from A&M in here because they're looking at trajectory and they're going, they're headed that way. We can get there. And they run around that and and they're yelling and people from other cities are going, wait, what's going on? Jesus over here. And they all run around and they are standing there. Okay. As Jesus and the disciples pull up. Did the disciples get a break? We're going to go to a secluded place. Did they get a break? You know what? They didn't. They got in the boat. They're rowing. And when they get there to their secluded place, everyone's there to welcome them. Ministry is like that. Serving the Lord and saying, I'm going to let you use me is like that. For you, that may be the car ride home. You've had a busy day at work. You've tried to bless people as you can. And you're like, oh man, when I get home, my secluded place. And you walk in and the kids are crying. (laughs) The dinner's burnt. Whatever's going on. And you just walk right back into it. Or maybe you're a student and you've been in class and you're trying to understand what the prof is talking about and keep notes and whatnot and you're brain dead and you walk in, you ride your bike to your apartment, you pull in and your roommate is having a mental, emotional breakdown and needs someone to talk to. Okay? (laughs) We need a break, but sometimes we don't get a break because loving and serving people is inconvenient. It's inconvenient. But why did they run? Why do people run? You know why? It's, let me do, just remind you of this. Is this you or not? We all have need of help and hope. And I'll tell you the difference between some of us in this audience. Some of us know that and some of us don't. Some of us feel like we've got it together and we are okay and we'll pull ourselves up by the bootstraps and there are others realize that we're flawed, realize we're broken, and realize we need the Lord Jesus. And if he was here, we would run. Others of us would watch the other people run. But they ran because they needed help. Next verse, when Jesus went ashore, he saw a large crowd. And remember, what do you think the disciples are thinking? Oh, my goodness. Weren't we just with all these people? Maybe they're frustrated. Maybe they're irritated. But what does the God of the universe feel for these people? Compassion. Compassion. I had a moment like this 
Many years ago, I was fresh into ministry in a ministry called Young Life. Unbelievable outreach to high school kids. And uh, I was assigned to Bryan High School. And so I followed the Bryan High School football team up to Waco for a football game to kick off the year. And I think Brian High won that game, and I'm standing in the crowd. I've been hanging out with the students, and the students went down to be with the football team, and they're celebrating right there in the middle of the field, and the Waco football team with their cheerleaders and students are over here, you know, with their head down, coach gave them a pep talk. And in that moment, and I I don't know if I could put it into words, but I had that moment like that. In some way, God gave me a compassion for the crowd. And my heart broke because I went, this is a football game, and, and, and just... How unbelievable life is so much bigger if we could pull the curtain back and, and think about these students from high school and the, and the popularity and the performance and all these things and really boil down what life is about. It's about a God who wants to know them. And if I could show them that and how susceptible they are to all the false thinking in this world and, and the, the Satan wants to kill them and destroy them and keep them from knowing him. And, and I had that heart of compassion. And that's what Jesus looks at and he goes... I know what they are. They are human beings that I created and I made for a reason, but I'm a God who is powerful and they are not. I'm a God who's able and they are not. I'm a God who knows and they don't. And he had compassion on them because they, like sheep, without a shepherd, are susceptible. Are you susceptible? I want to tell you something. One phone call one keystroke on a computer, one lapse of judgment. And I promise you, you'll find out how susceptible you really are. Don't construct towers around yourself and think that you are invulnerable or invincible. We are all so susceptible and Jesus knows that and that's why he looks at us with such compassion because he has put us in a world and because of our choices, it was broken. And we have to deal with those results, but he is working on those results. He has done something amazing to fix those results, and that's where he's taking us in history. The people wanted something, and I want you to see this. In Matthew, it says Jesus healed them. But in Mark, this version, it says he began to teach them. And here's what I want you to see. They were running because they needed hope, and they needed help. Many of them needed health. And Jesus looks at them, and instead of, in Mark, it says he began to teach them because Jesus knew one thing for sure about how susceptible they were. And it wasn't that they just needed to have their pain eased. They needed right thinking. They needed truth. They needed correct understanding of who God is because that's the ultimate sustainment that God has given us in this world. To see who he is as he really is. And it says, and when, they were, when it was already quite late, so he's been teaching them, he's teaching them and healing them. It's already quite late. His disciples came to him and said, now this is where the disciples are going to start learning some lessons. They hit their limit. Notice that. They hit their limit before Jesus hits their limit. Remember, Jesus, is a, is a, he, he stretches the limit. He was tempted beyond any th- temptation we could handle, and he took it. And in this moment, he is ministering. He is serving people. And it's the disciples who come to him, uh, Jesus, you know, man, it's getting kind of late. My tummy's hungry. I'm kind of getting hangry. I'm already frustrated that I got to be here with all these people because we didn't get a break and get to process all the cool things we did. And I haven't eaten. And I, can we just send these people on? And they offer a very practical solution. 
Now remember, they've seen Jesus cast out demons. They've cast out demons by his power. They've seen diseases healed. They've heard the word taught in a powerful way. And they offer a very practical solution. Let's send them away so they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages to get something to eat. Are they seeing Jesus as God right now? Yeah, maybe they're seeing him as God, but are they seeing him what he is capable of? Is their faith so big that they don't come with a worldly practical solution, but they come with a Jesus? Oh my goodness, you can bring manna from the heavens. That's what they did in the Old Testament. They brought quail. Can you bring some quail in here? They don't. And Jesus flips the script on them. He says, you give them something to eat. (laughs) They said, shall we go and spend 200 denarii on bread? 200 denarii is about a year's worth of a day laborer's wage. And here's what happens. Jesus challenges their thinking. He is the Lord of the unexpected. And right now he is teaching the disciples, my ways are not your ways. The way you think is not the way I think. The way you work is not the way I work. And the disciples needed to understand, as he points out very clearly, their inability. You give them something to eat. There's 5,000 men, that's not including women and children. And he says, you feed them. Because he's trying to teach them their inability and their need to rely on his power. He's trying to help them see that he is the God that they need to believe in. But they weren't looking at Jesus to provide, but they were looking at worldly methods. And here's what he says. He says, how many loaves do you have? And I, love, I think this question, they start looking at each other. And, and then I think Jesus goes, would you just go look? Like, come on, go look. So they go out and they don't even have food. Who do they find? They find a little boy, five loaves and two fish. And they bring not what they had, but what they found. And Jesus begins to direct. And he sits them down in groups of hundreds and fifties. And now it's Jesus who's going to show them something amazing. He took the five loaves and the two fish and looking up toward heaven, he blessed the food and he broke the loaves. He acknowledges where the provision has come from. And that's helping teach these disciples. Even Jesus is saying, there is a provider. And then he does something. Now, I asked you, do you identify with the disciples or the crowd through this story? But I want to ask you this. Identify yourself with the bread and the fish for a second. Because what Jesus breaks, I want you to hit this. What Jesus breaks, he is then able to multiply its usefulness and its capacity. And for us, born in pride, (laughs) born with an arrogant fist towards the Lord, when Jesus breaks us, He multiplies our usefulness and our capacity as people of God. Well, the disciples get to do something interesting here. They get to participate in the miracle. And I think this is a key point because Jesus needed them to be reminded it wasn't their power. When they were healing people and casting out demons, yes, it was God's power, but they were doing it. In this case, they needed to see God's power made known through this miracle of multiplying the bread and the fish, where they were just passive participants, where they were receiving it and then just distributing it. They saw the miracle. 
But they needed to realize who the miracle worker is based on the lessons they had already learned. So Jesus meets the people's need in a creative and unexpected way. And then it says they all ate and they were satisfied because what Jesus provides satisfies and it's full. And notice what happens. He leaves an abundance. And for the disciples, it says they collect 12 full baskets. Okay, and presumably we're talking about the 12 disciples here. They each now have, they were hungry. You know, they're over there, I'm hangry, Jesus, send them away. And now what do they see? Their participation, their humbleness, their participation with Jesus in ministry. And Jesus says, I'm not only going to bless others, but I'm going to bless you. And I'm going to give you an abundance. What is it that Jesus said? I am the shepherd. And he said, the, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I came to give you life and life abundantly. And he's proven to them, I can meet your needs greater and give you more and have you fully satisfied in me than anything else. And so he leaves in abundance. And I want you to think about this. He could have sent the crowds away. They were not dying of starvation. He could have went ahead and sent the crowds away and sent them to the countrysides and had them get food. But this miracle was not for the people. It was for the disciples. They needed to be challenged. They needed to have their mindset tweaked. They needed to see Jesus in a new way provide. They'd seen the power of Jesus. They needed to see new power. They needed to see Jesus act in a new way to expand and stretch their faith. Because they were going to be in so many different situations. Not to look at it in one way, but to look at it in a different way. And to always be asking, how can God move here? In this situation. So immediately, oh, hold on a second. We're going to jump now. That was, that's the feeding of the 5,000. I want to jump now into the next section because you're going to see a continuation here. And I want to read this to you and then we're going to break it down. Here's what it says, verse 45. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side, to Bethsaida. While he himself was sending the crowd away, they're satisfied, they're full, he sends them away. And after bidding them farewell, he left for the mountainside to pray. And when it was evening, the boat was in the middle of the sea, and he was alone on the road. Seeing them straining at the oars for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea, and he intended to pass by them. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed that it was a ghost, and they cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke with them and said to them, Take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. And then he got into the boat with them, and the wind stopped, and they were utterly astonished. And here's the phrase I want you to see. For they had not gained any insight from the incident of the loaves, but their heart was hardened. Let me walk you through a couple of things about when Jesus walks on water. He gets the people dispersed, he sends them off, and he is praying. And I just want to give you one thought here. If Jesus prayed dot, 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 what should we be doing? All right? And I just leave that one there. That's free, okay? Next one. When it was evening, the boat was in the middle of the sea, and he was alone on the land. So he is up here waiting, and he's doing this on purpose because he's got a lesson to teach the disciples. I got, I got, Jesus is purposeful. Okay, he is purposeful. And look what happens. It says, seeing them straining. 
Okay, I want you to hear that. They are straining at the oars. Their bellies are full. They're in um, bread fish coma while they're rowing. Okay, and they're trying to go against, and the wind is buffeting them. It's against them. And it is about 3 a.m. Okay, now it took a long time to feed 5,000 people. Break, 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 break. Fill up a basket, fill up a basket, take it out. That took a while. It's, it's about 3 a.m. and they're on the waves. They haven't slept. They're tired. They still haven't got to process what they saw with Jesus. And here's the, here they are. And listen to this. This is crazy. He intended to pass by. Hear this. Sometimes God lets us struggle and he's okay with that. He doesn't let us drown, but he lets us struggle. He was okay with passing them by. That's an important part. But look what happens when they see him. He's walking on the water, which is evidence of his deity. He walked where only God can walk. Okay, on water. David Blaine might do that, but it's a trick. Jesus didn't have anything underneath him, okay? And he's walking on the water to indicate that he is God. But what do they do? They suppose it was a ghost. They come up with another human explanation. They don't see Jesus as God, and they don't even think, wow, that could be Jesus, because, you know, we know he's God, and that could be him. No, they go, oh, my goodness, it's a ghost. What do we do? They automatically go to human explanation. You see what they're missing here? Jesus is trying to establish them, okay? And here's what happens. He gets in the boat with them, and the wind stops, and they're astonished. And why are they so astonished? Who is this man that the winds and the waves obey him? They still haven't figured it out. They have not gained any insight from the incidents of the loaves, and their heart was hardened. Now, it's interesting that Mark leaves out Peter's experience of walking on water. Remember, Peter, when Jesus shows up, he says, hey, if that's you, can I come walk to you? And, and Jesus says, get out of the boat. Come on. And Jesus allows Peter to walk on the water, and, and Peter then takes his eyes off Jesus and sinks, and that's a, a, a great lesson in and of itself. But I think the reason Mark leaves that out of this couple of narratives is because he's trying to show the collective failure of the disciples of learning the lesson of who Jesus is and how they have not expanded their faith the way he would like them to. They're not seeing him fully in the deity that he can. They're not trusting in him with everything they have yet. And he needs them to see that because the fickleness of their faith is happening. And a synonym for fickleness of your faith is hardness of heart. And that's where they are because Jesus, the Lord, has come near. God is near right in front of them displaying his power and they missed it. And it wasn't because they had a problem with their eyes. It was because they had a problem with their heart. And there's a reason why God says to us in Ezekiel thirty-six twenty-six, as he's talking about the new covenant that he's making with the nation of Israel And the ultimate fulfillment of what he wants to do in mankind and he's going to do in the nation of Israel. He says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh that's hard. And I will give you a heart of flesh. And the reality for us is is we are benefactors of that new covenant. God has done something new in us, given us his spirit within us, given us a new heart. And with all of that, 
We have always this tendency because he has not removed the sinful nature that we have. So we have a constant hardening of a heart that has to constantly be humbled and yielded before God to soften it. There are people that I know in this congregation who walk with the Lord and are now not walking with the Lord. What happened? And it didn't happen overnight. It's a slow hardening of the heart. That happens to all of us. And so to walk with the Lord for a lifetime, to be broken, to be used and multiplied in our usefulness and our capacity, we have to constantly be putting ourselves before the Lord and be humble and be yielded, be repentant and willing to keep our hearts soft before the Lord. Because what is Jesus trying to teach us? What is, was he trying to teach the disciples? He is revealing himself and he's preparing them to trust him. And that's what he wants for us. And that's why he recorded these two narratives in the scripture for us to lean on. But you know what else God has done for us? He has given us stories in our own lives. I'd like to share two of you. I want to share you my feeding of the 5,000 and my walking on water just real quick. The way I've seen God move that I lean on from personal experience when I'm wondering, how's God going to move in this new situation? I was a youth pastor here from 2002 to 2009. My dog died. I was single. I thought, I'm going to move to Dallas and go to seminary. I move up there. I get me my wife on the first week I'm there on a blind date. She's a teacher. We start walking through life together. I finished seminary, and we are looking for a job. Now, she's a 10th grade English teacher up there, and at that time, College Station High School was opening up down here. Um, there were no positions at Grace Bible Church for me, and uh, we were just going, Lord, where would we go? And one of the things we did, we went to San Antonio, we applied for a job down there. I got offered a job in youth ministry down there, and we were praying about that, and we thought, you know, my mom and dad are here, and we're living in Navasota. And while they were living there, when I moved in 2009, my mom started dealing with some sickness, anxiety and depression and chronic nausea, and she started to go downhill and need, they were going to the emergency room about every other week, if not twice a week. Uh, we saw doctor after doctor, and so I'm down there, and we're watching my mom go through these health things, and that's weighing on my dad. Now, my dad at the time is in his mid-80s, and my mom's in her late 70s, okay? I was born late. And so my wife and I were praying about it, and we're thinking, you know what, if we could move back to College Station to be next to them so that we could be next to them in this time where they're going through this stuff, and my mom is sick, let's, let's do that. And so we began to pray, and we said, Lord, if you would open up a job down there for both of us, if, if you will provide a job in College Station for both of us, then we'll go down there. And man, nothing. We were hearing nothing. I made some phone calls and whatnot, and we're walking along this path, and we're, we're in June, and there's a Monday that's coming. And on that Monday, Catherine had to give, my wife had to give her school district the, the information, are, are you going to stay with us up here or not? And so Monday was the deadline, and if by that time, if she gave her word, we were going to stay. So on Friday, she gets a call from College Station High School principal. Hey, we have a job for you. We'd like you to come and be our ninth grade English teacher. And we're like, wow, that's awesome, but I don't have anything. So we keep praying. Within 24 hours, I got a random call from someone <laughs> in town. Within 24 hours, deadline approaching quickly. Last minute, Jesus always shows up at the last minute. 
And he offers me a job here in College Station. And my wife and I, with the little seed of faith, became a mustard tree. And we went, that is the Lord speaking to us. We're going. So we come down here very quickly. The next week, we find, because it's summer, we're like down here on a Wednesday. We find, so that's, we find that on Friday and Saturday. We say we're accepting those jobs. We come down on a Wednesday, and we're looking at apartments. We find an apartment. We go up there. We start packing up the apartment. I get a call from Brian Fisher. Hey, how would you like to be a children's pastor at Grace Bible Church? Man, my dream was to come back here and work at Grace Bible Church. He had already called the gentleman who had offered me a job, asked permission to talk to me. That guy gave permission. Someone was already in the works of leaving, and it had been several months, but they hadn't revealed that yet. And that person was taking a job in Dallas, leaving a vacancy here in the children's ministry. How would you like to come back, Zach? All of these things God was orchestrating. And I look back on that, and I go, no matter what I'm facing or if I'm confused about what the future is, I will wait on Jesus. Let me fast forward. My mom is sick. We're here. Um, and, and I'm going to tell a story that's pretty personal. I love my dad. He's Italian. He worked his tail off to provide for us. He is a good man. But he was stubborn. He was an engineer. And engineers fixed things, and no one could fix my mom. And he lost faith in the medical community. He didn't trust people in his older age, and so he would not. My mom was dying at our home, going down fast. She couldn't even hardly sit up. And at, at one point, I mean, this is hospitals and all these kind of things we were doing. I went to my dad, and I said, Dad, we have got to get help for Mom. And we tried everything, getting someone to come into the house. He wouldn't do that. Trying to get her in a place, couldn't do that. She finally got so bad that we had to take her out of the house and put her in a nursing home to go through rehabilitation. And she started to thrive again. Married to a stubborn Italian for 50 years to do that to you, right? Get away from him a little bit. Love my dad. I love my dad. And what happened, and my dad's not a Christian at the time, that I can tell. And so I'm sitting there, and she's in this place for so long, and Medicare's covenant, and then Medicare, is, it's done. And we got to figure out what to do. And my mom had some savings, so I moved her into another facility here in town, and we were running out of money in the spring. And this was against my dad's wishes. I had lots of, you're an idiot, and I, I can't believe you're my son, conversation with my dad. But I felt like it was the right thing to do. So I put her in a facility. We're using her funds, and her funds are drying up. And I don't know what to do. And I'm, I'm looking at what's going to happen here because he, he's, he's her husband. I can't just do this without her, and I don't have any funds to do this. He has all the funds. They're in their bank account. And so I went to a friend of mine who is a godly lawyer in this town, and I, I started to proceed with how do I get custody of my mom? And he looked at me, and he said, that is, one of, that is worse than divorce. That is going to be such a difficult thing. He goes, let me sleep on it and pray about it. And I went, okay. A week later, I called him back up and he said, Zach, here's my advice to you. He said, do you have access to some of their money in their bank account? And I said, I do. He said, I would pull out three months worth of, her, of, their, of that money and prepay for your mom. I said, but then in three months, I'm going to be right back where I am right now. And he said to me, Zach, you never know what will happen in three months. And that was in March. April 28th, my dad ends up in hospital. I go visit him. 
It's dark. I don't notice. He's yellow. Come back the next day and he's yellow. And he's got pancreatic cancer. And the doctor says, you got a month to live. And on May 20th, he passes away. And I looked at that and I went, you know what? But here's the deal. The week before, he's in hospice. And I share the gospel with him. And the best I can tell, he believes. And so this huge family trauma and this difficulty of trying to take care of my mom and my dad's stubbornness and all these things. And at the end of three months, I'm asking for help because I'm in help. I need help and I need hope. And someone who is walking with the Lord gives me a word from the Lord and I see a resolution that my dad, I believe, is now in heaven with Jesus because he, fa- he didn't die out there alone on the farm from a heart attack. I had a chance to end our life with him, massaging his legs and talking to him about Jesus. And he believed. And now I have access to be able to take care of my mom and not fight this horrible battle that I didn't want to fight. And I look at those stories and I tell you those stories because I want you to know God moves and he didn't just move 2,000 years ago. And there are people in our audience right now who have stories just like that where they've seen God move in a powerful way. And here's what we need to be doing. We need to be telling those stories. And so here's my application to you this week. For us, reflect and remember how God has moved in your life. And write them down. Think about the times when God, and and remember those stories so that when you face something else in life, you can lean on those with an understanding that God is worthy to be trusted. And he can move in your life today. And if you don't have a story like that, read the Bible because it's full of them. That's why he gave it to us. And then share your story. Verbalize it. Blog it. Scream it. Cry through it, but share it with someone. I'm going to give you a great way to introduce that. Find someone this week and say, hey, did I ever tell you about that time? There's your intro. (laughs) Share your story. You know why? Because we all need to hear the stories of how God is moving in our lives today. Learn the lesson of the loaves. Expand your faith. See God in a different way. Know that he can meet you in your circumstances. He might meet you in one, but he can meet you in another. And that's all I got, so let me pray. Father, I love you. I thank you for who you are and what you've done in our lives. And I pray that you would move powerfully in our lives. I pray that you would help us to remember and see clearly how you've moved. And that we would be bold enough to share those stories with others that they might be encouraged and informed and get a better picture of you and know that that all of us need help and hope and that you are a God who has compassion on us and you meet us in our needs and you're not afraid to let us struggle but you don't let us sink. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, the deacons are gonna open up those doors back there right now and I just wanna encourage you and invite you uh, Here's a great other thing. We've got lots of ministry opportunities, connecting points, Bible studies, home groups. And if you are not finding community or finding a place to serve, please meet some people back there. And if you're not, if you're already connected, go drink coffee.
go get some donuts and share some stories with one another of God's faithfulness. Be blessed.